निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपाधृतविग्रह वै ईशावतारम परमेशमिड्यम तम रामकृष्णम शिसा नमाम जननीम सारदा देवी रामकृष्ण जगद्गु पादपद्मीतवा प्रणमा मुहुर्मुहु नमस्तिराजा विवेकानंदसूर सच्चिदुखस्वूपाय स्वामीनेतापहारिणे so in the last class uh, we have just concluded the study of the second chapter the third chapter of karma yoga swami vivekananda's karma yoga and again the next week we are going to have durga puja celebration so this week i thought that instead of starting a new chapter uh, we can discuss on swami ji's works only uh but not it's exactly in karma yoga if you refer to the first volume of swami ji's complete works the very first uh, section starts with the uh, the parliament of religion where swami ji that famous uh, lecture on the parliament of religion and that is there followed by a few more lectures which swami ji delivered in the parliament it was not only on the 11th september following in the following week he delivered a few more lectures on hinduism the one of the very famous lectures which people uh, are not aware of it is a paper on hinduism swami ji read a paper on hinduism about which nivedita used to uh, say a very interesting thing sister nivedita much later when commenting on these works of swami ji he told that when swami ji started delivering the lecture he was an exponent of hinduism at the time when his lecture was completed hinduism was created it's a wonderful statement means every in every age we find the the spiritual luminaries they come and give a new mold to the very old religion as in our very oft quoted way we say that the the old nectar in the new bottle just it's the same is the perennial values as per the necessity of the modern age they present it in such a way so that we can relate to it we can practice it so that's what swami ji did and that's how now nice nivedita is indicating when he started delivering the lecture he was an exponent of hinduism and by the time his lecture was over hinduism was created so he gave a total new mold so that paper on hinduism is a very significant lecture uh, last week uh, one of our participants here in the regular class has emailed me about his doubts 
which actually pertains to a particular section of this chapter, the papers on Hinduism. So I uh, told him, I just through email, I responded that uh, just to clear your doubt on email will be very difficult. Why not take one class uh, to deal with that your doubts? And I think it will clarify not only your doubts, it will actually throw a light on what with what background Swamiji is delivering that lecture. Now this lecture was delivered on 19th of September. So we will share the screen uh, to refer to part of the portion of the text of that lecture. And so it was, the lecture was delivered on 19th of September, 1893. As you all know, the famous lecture, which we all know that seven minutes lecture, the short lecture was on 11th September, where Swamiji became famous in just one day. So his huge posters were hung throughout the Chicago city that below it was written the cyclonic monk, the Hindu monk. And that deliberation many have read. You find in the internet, many of that lecture, though it's a fake one, as if it's Swamiji is speaking. There is no voice of Swamiji till now it has been found. Though Swamiji recorded uh, once or twice his voice, but in those days, the uh, recording system was very, very primitive. They couldn't preserve it. So there is as such no, uh, at present, uh, recording of Swamiji's voice. In the internet, what you find are all fake, but the contents are the thing which Swamiji spoke. It's there in the internet. So there, what we find is that the lecture on the 11th of September, there's a very short lecture, but this paper on Hinduism was something, an elaborate deliberation on the tenets of Hinduism. Now this lecture is something is very, very significant. We will take out a portion of it as per the doubt of the, the, the which has been raised, the questions which has been raised. I took out a portion of it and I have named it the soul, its nature and its destiny. So this is the theme, which is just a portion of that lecture that we will take up for today's discussion. So now when Swami Vivekananda was delivering this lecture, we have to take the background to really understand what he's speaking of. It's very important. When Swamiji went to the West, he found that Christianity is being challenged by the modern science. It's a fact. The pillars of Christianity in those days were as if trembling, were falling off with the new discoveries of science. So there was this two, this thesis and antithesis. The, this, the Christian theology, the Christian doctrines are like the thesis and the modern science comes as an antithesis. And we will find how wonderfully Swami Vivekananda is making a synthesis of this thesis, antithesis, the synthesis. All the great work in the world has been done through the synthesis of this thesis and antithesis. Whenever in a civilization you find there's a confrontation of the old values, which are represented as the thesis, is challenged by the new generation as the antithesis, the avatara, the spiritually illumined soul comes as the synthesis. Here also we will find Swami Vivekananda is doing that wonderful work through that one lecture. It's a very, very significant lecture, the paper on Hinduism. 
So what was in the background of Swamiji's mind? The four ideas, the biblical doctrine of creation, the biblical concept of the original sin. These are the two first two uh, uh, ideas which was in his background of his mind. First, the biblical doctrine of creation. Second, the biblical concept of original sin. <clears throat> and as antithesis, we find there's a science biological concept of origin of life and the biological concept of inheritance. So these were in clash. So now first let us, before going to the Swamiji's work, then, then we will understand that on which, what background Swamiji is speaking these words. Those words may appear to be a bit confusing if you don't know the background. So first let us go to the background. So we all know that the biblical background by this doctrine of creation. What is the biblical doctrine of creation? God created the universe. And then you know that in seven days the creation happened. In the sixth day, the human beings came into existence. God created the humans seen as two individuals, Adam and Eve. Adam was made from the dust of the ground when God breathed life into him. Eve was created out of one of the Adam's ribs to provide company and help Adam and, and has an help for Adam. So this is the concept we find is there in the Old Testament Bible. And there's another concept, the concept of original sin that from Adam and Eve, how the humanity has came into existence that we inherit the sin, original sin of Adam and Eve. What happened? That Adam and Eve, they were given that the Garden of Eden to take care of, but they were forbidden to test the fruit of particular tree. So it is a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God when they ate a forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Original sin is not just this inherited spiritual disease. We all inherit that as per the biblical tradition. We all inherit that. It also is the condemnation that God as if condemned Adam and Eve and the forthcoming generation that they were removed from the heaven. They were thrown to the earth and that is inherited by us. So we are all having that sin which we all inherit. So basically we are all sinners. So this is the basic idea that God has created. We are all created by God, which means in past we were not there. We are not anadi, but we will exist forever. Once God have created, there is no annihilation for the soul. But we, after this life, as per our good actions, or bad actions, our course will be decided for eternal heaven or eternal hell. So whatever it is, but we are not going to exist. We are not going to die. So that's the biblical idea that we were created. We were not there in the past at, uh, beyond certain point of time. It's only when God created Adam and Eve from that the creation came into existence. And we started at, as a human being from that time but we are not going to be annihilated. As a soul, we are eternal. That's one idea and the other idea is of the original sin. We all inherit that the disobedience of Adam and Eve 
So we are basically the sinners. So these two ideas we find in the biblical tradition. So now let us enter into gradually into Swami Vivekananda's talk. This keeping this in the background of our mind. Now Swami even is delivering the talk on Hinduism. It's not to criticize any religion because he had a tremendous devotion for Jesus. We will at the end we will find that where his devotion for Jesus lies, it's not with the doctrine of Christianity. It's with the life itself. We speak of redemption. We are not bothered about what we are. What's the cause of what we are? We are bothered about that. Is there a way out? So there lies the importance of Jesus and Swami Vivekananda. We will find his saying in one place that if I was alive at the time of his when when Jesus was alive, if I was there, I would have washed his feet with my heart's blood. So that type of devotion he had. So this too we should not confuse with the doctrine, the biblical doctrine, and his devotion for the Jesus. So just we keep the doctrine in the background to enter into Swamiji's ideas when he's propounding the tenets of Hinduism. So we will continue with our as the slideshow so that. So as we told that the key point of the Genesis story is that God is the creator of all things. However, in Bible, though it is mentioned that God created the humans, it has also assured that once created, the soul will live forever and is never going to die. Means in the our way, it means Vedic terminology, soul is ananta, but not anadi. It has no end. In the future, it is going to exist, but it at the past, at certain point, it started existing. And the next, another concept is the concept of the original sin, attributed sin to the to be the inherent spiritual and psychological condition of human beings. Even a newborn baby who hasn't done anything at all is damaged by original sin. So that is something we inherit. So first, let us come to the idea of God as the creator. What has the Vedas has to say in this context? So in the context of God as creator, Swamiji takes the Vedic standpoint to raise two objections. So from the Vedic standpoint, so now let us go to the words of Swamiji and then we will try to discuss on it. Here I stand and if I shut my eyes and try to conceive my existence, I, I, idea before me, what is that, so what, that I, I, that comes before me, what is the idea before me? The idea of a body, am I then nothing but a combination of material substances? The, here comes the Vedas declaration. The Vedas declare, no, I am a spirit living in a body. I am not the body. The body will die, but I shall not die. Here am I in this body. It will fall, but I shall go on living. So here we find it's almost similar to the idea of the Bible that I shall go on living. But where it differs from the biblical doctrine, I had also a past. The soul was not created. So here we find the basic difference, a little difference from the biblical concept of the soul and the Vedic. In the biblical concept, God created. We are all created. Our soul was created by God. So here in the Vedic concept, 
the soul was not created for creation means a combination which means a certain future dissolution if then the soul was created it must die anything created has to be annihilated anything which is made up of composites the composites are bound to degenerate and then what happens that annihilation comes so the soul cannot be created it cannot be a composite creation means a composition in sankhya philosophy there is a wonderful sutra called sanghato parartatvat so sanghato parartatvat so whenever there is a conglomeration of various constituents that conglomeration doesn't serve any purpose for any of those constituents i will come to the explanation the words may be confuse you once the explanation there you will understand what that whenever there is a conglomeration of a unit a unit is formed by various constituents that unit won't serve the purpose of any of the constituents it serves the purpose of something apart from it to give an example i am sitting at present in the shrine of the vedanta center this room has as per the construction of this room is concerned what are the things which are the constituents of this room the brick the cement the wood the logs the timber and the electrical lines are there the carpets are here so all those things constitutes this room but does the room serve any purpose for the brick for the cement for the carpet for the timbers for the electrical connections it doesn't serve any purpose for any of those constituents for whom it serves a purpose for someone who is not a constituent parartha who comes from outside we come from outside here in the shrine we are not a constituent of what the shrine is made of we come from outside and here come for a particular purpose to commune with the divine to relate to the divine with a devotion for that purpose we come here so the sankhya philosophy is saying that with your common sense look at this world just show me a single instance where the constituents are serving the purpose of the unit which they that the unit which has been formed by the constituents that unit is serving the purpose of the constituents it never happens it's always parartha so if you just see the constituents these are bound to disintegrate once the purpose of the one for whom it has been made is served this constituents will break off but the one for whom it was there that exists that was there that is going to be there so the constituents which came together will fall apart and then the annihilation is bound to be there so if anything is created it has to be destroyed so as per vedanta the soul is anadi and ananta so that's the first thing so from the biblical tradition just why he is saying because it was a parliament of religion where all the religions were to showcase the uniqueness of their religion compared to the others religion and also how we can all this qualias combine in spite of all those basic differences how we can all integrate so that was the basic purpose so first swami ji is showing that yes that we as a religion have some uniqueness it's not that in all points we agree so here we believe 
that the soul has no beginning, no end. That's the first thing. The second thing, that some are born happy. Again, we go to the words of Swami Vivekananda. Some are born happy, enjoy perfect health with beautiful body, mental vigor, and all wants supplied. Others are born miserable. Some are without hands or feet. Others again are idiots and only drag on a wretched existence. Why, if they all are created, why does a just and merciful God create one happy and another unhappy? Why is he so partial? So the one who actually raised the question was with one of this line. In the second place, the idea of the creator, God, does not explain the anomaly, but simply expresses the cruel fiat of an all-powerful being. The fiat means the decree that the original sin was done by Adam and Eve, and then God thrown them to the earth, and we are inheriting. It speaks of some short of that God's lacking in compassion as if. You may say that it is actually because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. But if God has created, the question goes, or you can go on regressing the question. If God has created Adam and Eve, why he created him in such a way that they should disobey? You will say, no, they, they, they actually never disobeyed. The circumstances, they were pure. The circumstances were such. The Satan in the form of the snake came to lure them. Again, the question comes in his creation, if everything he has created from where the Satan in the form of snake comes. So you can go on asking that question. So at last, you will find that however we may try, the ultimate responsibility lies with God. So here we find that the Veda is objecting, the Vedic standpoint is objecting from these two standpoints. That if God has created then we are going to be annihilated as the first thing that Swamiji is indicating in the first point. And the second, if he has created us, all the evil things along with the good, for that the responsibility is his. So from this, after raising these two objections, now let us proceed what Swamiji has to say from the Vedic standpoint. So then, according to the Vedas, what is the cause of the dualities in the forms of joys and suffering that we experience in life? Now Swamiji says that there must have been causes then before his birth to make a man miserable or happy and those were his past actions. It's not, the responsibility is not of God. We are the soul as eternal it is our own past actions. The responsibility is on us. We don't throw the responsibility on God that he has thrown us to this pitiable state of existence. And again, it is his responsibility to redeem us as if the entire responsibility is on God. Here, Veda brings the responsibility on himself. That's why Swamiji used to say that Veda, if that you, you all praise democracy, if you really want democracy in religion, it is the Vedas. That the responsibility is not on any anarchy or any monarchy. That it is upon it which depends that whether he is going to curse us or whether he is going to give us the welfare. It is on us. It is we decide. So 
the responsibility is on each and every being on his past actions. You will find a wonderful way. Swamiji is bringing the points. So bookkeeping that biblical. So now you will understand that why Swamiji, that previous line he told, it was not actually something from the Hindu standpoint he was saying. Keeping the biblical background in the mind, he told that in the second place, the idea of a creator does not explain the anomaly, but simply expresses the cruel fate of an all-powerful being. So it was keeping that. Now, the Vedic standpoint, he mentioned this line. From the moment he mentioned this line, he himself is now saying, but now, as an antithesis of the biological, uh, of the biblical concept of creation, of the biblical concept of original sin, we find the biological concept of inheritance, which neither adheres to the idea of our past actions, because we don't have past as per the biological concept is concerned. We were born, we are going to die, we inherit as per the genes of our parents. So where comes the question of this, our misery and our happiness comes from our past actions. So now Swamiji himself was aware of all the biological uh, concepts that started prevailing in those days. So, but now the biological concept of inheritance come to the picture to object to the idea of past actions of previous birth carried forward to be a result in the present birth. Now Swami Vivekananda himself points to that. Does not the, bio, this, the biological uh, concept of inheritance say what this in the words of Swamiji? Are not all the tendencies of the mind and the body for by inherited aptitude? So now, very interesting. Before answering to this question, Swamiji will again take us. Very interesting. If you just study this lecture, it's a wonderful lecture. It's wonderfully he's synthesizing the biblical concept and the biological, the modern science, the biological concept. So first he will take, before answering that question, he will take to the contradictions of these two view and where the Vedic concept stands. So biblical doctrine of creation and the biological concept of the original sin. There is a fight. So what's the fight? <clears throat> it's the fight between the idealism and realism. These terms, we will explain. If it maybe just term by itself means nothing. That's what's idealism, what's realism. So here are two parallel lines of existence. One of the mind and other of matter. If matter and its transformations answers for all that we have, there is no necessity of supposing the existence of a soul. But it cannot be proved that thought has been evolved out of matter. So very interesting thing Swamiji is stating. What is saying that science thinks, and science, what is science think? That consciousness is an epiphenomenon. The matter conglomerated somehow to create consciousness and that consciousness also originates with the physical life, the genes of the parents. They, they mix up to create this life and then death comes, there's death annihilation. And the consciousness which we see is the product of this conglomeration. So here that's the apparent science which we have. So this is the first time, there is no question of inheritance either from the God's curse 
because of the disobedience the gods uh, curse on the humanity that is not that neither that biology agrees to that neither the biology agrees to the past karma so that has been stated first by swamiji so first is this first of the powers these two parallel lines of existence one of the mind the other of matter as per the science it is everything matter if matter and its transformation answer for all that we have there is no necessity for supposing the existence of a soul but it cannot be now swamiji is doubting but it cannot be proved that thought has been evolved out of matter it's a very interesting line swamiji is saying what when swamiji told it is almost 120 years back it is still valid the entire attempt of science is to find is to evolve life out of matter all the genetic engineering all the artificial intelligence the research on those fields still going on to produce life out of matter cloning and anything you can consider the genetic engineering but till now has science really succeeded in creating life out of matter they have to take life as the fundamental thing or over it they can manipulate the genetic engineering can be done on a living cell on a living bacteria on a living virus but can is science yet achieve that success just just by conglomerating matter that they could have evolved life it was not something which was possible in the past till now the artificial intelligence yeah, that also when they say that it is behaving almost like human but the science itself will doubt is it something which is replicating consciousness no because it is doing as per the programming it doesn't know what it is doing that the hard problem of consciousness that's the thing which the scientists themselves are asking that why i cannot consider it to be conscious because i know what i am doing when i see i know i am saying when someone asks me to do something i i follow the instructions i know i am following the instructions when you ask the robot to do something the robot does it does it know that it is doing it it is just doing as per the programming so the hard problem of consciousness is that who is the one who knows that kene shitam preshitam with that the kene upanishad starts the basic question so till now science couldn't answer that and that's the thing swami ji is indicating but it cannot be proved that thought has been evolved out of matter that's what science has been trying without success till now and the opposite thing from the biblical concept is god has created everything this matter is not coming to picture at all but if a philosophical philosophical monism is inevitable so the two things that from the god life came or from the matter's conglomeration the life has evolved so these are the two these propositions one the bible is keeping on one the science is keeping in this swamiji is saying if i have to prefer though i am not preferring i will prefer the philosophical monism which is inevitable spiritual monism uh, monism is certainly logical that everything has been created from god it is logical that's what swamiji is saying more logical 
though it is not in absolute sense it is logical he will come to the uh, vedic point later but he is saying that it is more logical than uh, the scientific concept so now why he is saying it is more logical to give a very clear very simple explanation in this life have you ever experienced that anything can be created just as it is there are two things formation and creation the clouds formation it just go on changing its formation that is not creation but wherever there is a creation there has to be a thought behind it just take that the building which you, uh, the house where you stay there was just the ground first you have to think that how the what the plan of my house should be where will be my living room where will be my bedroom where will be my studies and then the engineer came they prepared the blueprint no materials came the bricks the concrete were to come much later the first creation was in your imagination and then the concrete tangible reality came can you think of any creation without imagination first everything is created twice first in your imagination then as a tangible reality isn't it so so that's the thing which swami is indicating that philosophical monism is inevitable now i won't go to the discussion today in with the development of science with the development of the quantum science it has become almost impossible to think of creation without thinking a witness behind it the double slit experiment of the science in the present swami vivekananda never knew uh, was not aware i won't say he was never knew he was not aware of that more this discovery because at that time it was not yet invented this it was not discovered the double slit experiment where i won't go to the details of the experiment because we have to continue with the discussion in some other content we will discuss that that what that experiment as actually in detail speaks of in that experiment the outcome is that everything is probability there is no matter there is no thing in the thing we called as matter it's all probabilities it becomes a reality only when there is a witness in the language of quantum science the only when there is a witness the probability collapses into reality it's all something very apparent so here also we find the science has went to an extent where they cannot simply negate consciousness and think of matter they have to take the witness as the fundamental aspect to describe the creation so here we find what swami ji what is indicating still proves to be valid that from the biological concept what they are saying cannot be pro- proven and from the biblical concept what they are saying to certain extent it is of course true now what the vedic concept has to say so the fight between idealism this idealism the biblical concept is the idealism so the, from the ideas everything has came and the scientific concept the realism the real tangible world has created the consciousness as the epiphenomenon so this is the basic difference between the idealism and the realism we find is resolved by the vedic concept of transmigration as stated by swami vivekananda now we'll go to the words of swami vivekananda so what is saying we cannot deny that bodies acquire certain tendencies from heredity 
but those tendencies only mean the physical configuration through which a peculiar mind, see here very important, the mind. In Vedanta, mind is not equated with the soul. There is a peculiar mind, not the soul. Alone can act in a peculiar way. There are other tendencies peculiar to a soul caused by its past actions. And a soul with a certain tendency would, by the laws of affinity, take birth in a body which is the fittest instrument for the display of that tendency. These are the words of the Swamiji. So what he's indicating is very interesting. That he's synthesizing the idealism and the realism. That yes, as per the soul is concerned, it is beyond time-space causation. But when it is getting associated with the mind, mind speaks of the idealism and the body speaks of the, real, this, the realism. This both has to be synthesized. How? That yes, we do, we do inherit our past as the mind is concerned. We do inherit the, our past. As per the inclinations of the mind which it has accrued because of its past actions, that mind is something like non-local. Like the transmission center of the TV. It's non-local. It's everywhere. Now, when I open a TV and just tune it to a particular channel, the transmission which matches that channel, that becomes visible. So just we are giving this example to understand that mind something like is that the transmission center is a non-local. That the parent give us the body. That is something like the TV set. At each and every birth, what is happening once the TV set is destroyed, that we, our transmission is becoming visible in another TV set, a new TV set, which has been bought and which has been tuned to the particular channel. We all are like a particular channel. Our mind is like a particular channel. The anyone, the parents are giving the body and he's enabling and enabling us to get transmitted by tuning that the mind has its particular inclinations, it finds expression through that body where those inclinations will be fulfilled. So now you find, so how in a wonderful way, even in those days, when there was a wonder, we find the clash between the signs and the signs was proving to be very strong. Swamiji, how nicely is bringing the point of the Vedanta, how nicely is bringing that we leave apart the soul as the mind is concerned that you say that everything is inherited. No. What is inherited is something, yes, of course, that genes transmit to give the body. But the mind chooses the body as per its inclinations to, to just, uh, what do you say, find expression through that body so that his inclinations, as per the inclinations in the new life, again, he can fulfill and pursue the course of his actions with the help of this new body. So it's a wonderful way Swamiji is synthesizing both these ideas. So the transmigration the, the, not only speaks of genes as the science actually is trying to explain. You will find a very interesting thing that when the science was really believing that the genes speaks everything 
and then the cloning came into existence there is no need of father from the mother's cell you can clone and have an exact replica of the mother and if it is an exact replica you'll find how science itself is contradicting gradually so then what happens from an einstein cell i can create an einstein from a rabindranath tagore cell i can create a rabindranath tagore from all the genius cell i can create a genius science did the cloning with that idea it found it never happens because the body is not the be all and end all of our existence even the two twins two look alike brought together as they grow you will find gradually they have their own different inclinations the identical twins almost the same it is almost their same biological structure the same growing up in the same environment when they grow you will find gradually that different inclinations are growing so if the biological inheritance proves everything from where this difference comes now the science of staying saying start started saying what that the environment plays a great role then what about the two children brought in the same environment so then again they say the way you react to the situation so now at last they be find the question comes that how i develop that particular uh aptness that particular tendency to react in a way the other person has developed to react in a different way if you take the question back we regress it even biology has no answer so now you will find how nicely swami ji is placing this vedic concept of transmigration where the mind doesn't uh, uh, give the entire answer neither the body yes the body do transmit the genes and create a body with particular tendencies the mind which finds that that all those tendencies suits me inhabits that we shouldn't think in a way that something comes in and enter us just the way in it when you on the tv set does something comes and enter into the tv set to make it alive the mind is non local it's everywhere your mind is also non local we don't feel it because of the ignorance we feel it is local but it is non local it has just got tuned to the body which it finds is the best way to expression best place to express its tendencies so that's the wonderful idea of synthesis which swami ji is not propounding it is there in the vedas if you read the yoga shastra we are studying now in every thursday this is the yoga the process of transmigration how nicely they have dealt with just to give a common example that if all the past inclinations are something which is in my subconscious mind why they don't find expression in this life i just to give it is not exactly in this topic to give an explanation that how scientifically transmigration has been dealt has been dealt with in yoga to give a very funny example that if i had past births in most most probably in some past birth i was a grazing animal and i had a tremendous affinity for the green grass now it is supposed to be there still within me as a human being but i don't get salivate when i see the green grass then what about those tendencies so it's again very nice idea that all the vasanas don't manifest at a time as per your particular birth as per the environment 
only those vasanas. Means there's a difference between vasana and sanskara. Sanskara is something visible. Those vasanas which are suitable for that life, they become manifest. The others remain hidden. It's all in the Yoga Shastra. How nicely it has been told. Even in our day-to-day life, we find it. A student is good in all the subjects. He has a sanskara, the likeness for all subjects. And he gets chance in a medical because of his good grades in a medical college. The moment his jati, his now, what is his jati? What is his species now? He's a medical student. The moment he or she becomes a medical student, all this like, his liking for all subjects gets shadowed. The liking for biology that's becomes prominent. So all those were there. As per this new life as a medical student, others are getting, are getting hidden. Only the likeness for the biological science that remains manifested. Again, in the later life, when he's already established, then most probably again that old like this fondness for music may come back. I have sufficient laser, it may come back. So as for the situation, all the desires are not finding manifestation at the time. As for the situation, as per the circumstance, particular type of uh, your desires, your latent impressions, your tendencies, they become uh, something uh, as a part of your conscious mind. The other remains hidden. So nicely it has been dealt with the Yoga Shastra. Swamiji is just bringing a part of it to indicate it. Now to establish the again the this Vedic, Vedic idea of transmigration, Swami Vivekananda now will bring the idea of this conscious mind and the unconscious mind gradually. Swami Vivekananda now points out a scientific discovery by stating what he's stating that how we have to at last uh, agree to the fact that we inherit our past. So it's what Swamiji is saying, even your modern science says that. How? This is in accord with, with science. For science wants to explain everything by habit and habit is got through repetitions. Very interesting, in those days when Swamiji was speaking those words, the term neuroplasticity was not coined. But what he's speaking is nothing but neuroplasticity. That your, what you do again and again, that becomes a habit and that's through the repetitions that happen becomes your nature. So repetitions are necessary to explain the natural habits of a newborn soul. As we were saying, the two identical twin, in same circumstances they are brought up, but they react to a situation in a different way. How it has come. In neurology where they will say that it is because of our past uh, traversing through the mind in a particular way that helps us to develop particular inclinations. So if we think the human brain is a tabula rasa, tabula rasa means blank, everything we are filling in, it won't get, you won't get the answer. Then if we are everything filling in, then the way we regiment the entire world, it has to be regimented that way. It has to all behave that way. There, there are uh, still even some states believing in that, where they still that they, I can, we can, uh, what do you say that uh, delude the entire nation, we can program the mind of the entire nation with a particular ism by constantly regimenting them. Because it's the idea of the reductionist, the idea that everything came from matter. So that's how this, the, all these idealisms can lead to tremendous devastation, you will find that that doesn't allow the uh, 
freedom of my the uniqueness of my soul so that's the idea you will find how nice samaj is bringing that you have to so if from the birth i have developed some tendencies it should have from past even in this life you say certain tendencies is because of my past actions in this life then what about the tendencies with which i have been born it has to be from the past birth so that's how swamiji how nicely is resorting to the science to uh, as of negate the uh, idea of science that everything is biological nothing is because of karma so how nicely he is saying so that if we have some tendency at our birth it has to be because of our past habits and that speaks of the past birth in the modern language of neurology this is neuroplasticity and since they were not obtained in this present life they must have come down from the past lives so now again swami ji is will be this will be entering into a different topic so here this gives the answers to the child prodigies the inherent tendencies so that's swami ji is saying how is it that i now the next doubt which the science brings to us how is it that i do not remember anything of my past life so very common thing that even when i was a small child an infant when i my age was just one or two years do you remember anything nothing so this memory doesn't speak of our existence so swami ji will speak of the idea of the conscious mind and the subconscious mind which we already indicated in the words of swami ji this can be easily explained i am now speaking english it is not my mother tongue in fact no words of my mother tongue are now present in my consciousness but let me try to bring them up and they rush in that shows that consciousness is only the surface of the mental ocean and within its depth are stored up all our experiences try and struggle they would come up and you would be conscious even of your past life so that's actually in yoga shastra samskara shakshat karanat purva jati gyanam that's what swami is referring to there is uh, a science behind it to just explain that i will give an example this is been indicated here instead of reading it i will just indicate that how it is possible to remember the past now just take an example in a dark room you with a projector is projecting something on the screen to see a movie and you are watching the movie someone comes and opens the window and the direct sunlight sunlight falls on the screen and nothing is visible so this speaks of the conscious mind and the subconscious mind when the conscious mind is active when all the windows of eyes ears all these things are open the light the so called the conscious mind is active through all these senses then the subconscious mind is like that projector it is projecting it's not that it is not projecting on the screen but because of the this flashy light of the conscious mind that gets shadowed it's not seen anymore just stop the activity of the conscious mind it will be visible close the windows the project what is projected in the screen you can see that's what the rishis have done buddha before going to the illumination remembers his past births there are so many uh incidences indicated that one can really remember the past birth 
even those who are born as jatishwaras you will find only as a small child they remember as they grow up they forget why as a small child their consciousness is not yet getting involved with the immediate necessities it is to certain extent diffused and that's why the conscious mind is not yet that alert that active so it can still relate to the past there is not a single jatishwar that all the children who are born with a faculty of remembering the past as they start growing they start forgetting because as they get involved with the present life more and more the past gets shadowed just the way the opening of the window shadows what is falling on the screen through the projector so how wonderful these are the ideas which has been spoken of in the yoga in the vedanta that's what swami is referring to so <clears throat> this cannot be an objection that that as you don't have a memory you didn't have those past those tendencies the tendencies are there you may not see them but they are constantly modifying your life they are seeing you to give a common example what to speak of your past life if i ask you 10 days back what you had in your breakfast can you tell me you will forget you will have already forgotten but can you deny that what you had 10 days back in your breakfast to certain extent has already built you up as per your uh, physical growth is concerned you cannot deny so you may not see your past but the past is constantly building you up so that's the thing which swami ji is indicating so how nicely he's dealing both with the science and with the biblical concept to establish the religion for which he was there the vedanta how that to show that what is scientific this religion it is and then does the vedic concept about our real nature is pointed out by swami vivekananda so then we will conclude with this there are some other portions we will take up again in the next class uh, uh, because it won't be possible for me to cover the entire thing with this idea that what the thing comes out till the discussion we had today that the hindu believes that he is a spirit him the sword cannot pierce him the fire cannot burn him the water cannot melt him the air cannot try that's what from the bhagavad gita he is saying achedoyam adayoyam akledya ashoshya evacha nothing can affect the soul the pure pristine soul the hindu believes that every soul is a circle whose circumference is nowhere but whose center is located in the body why circumference is nowhere if you close your eyes your all the senses and try to think what you will find that constant that idea that i i is emanating from the locality of this body mind complex so you have a center you are being confined within this body mind complex but you have no circumference at night you look at the sky someone says that's the farthest galaxy with your mind you can go even farther to that where you can you can think that it is it cannot be the limit there is something beyond that so there is no limit for the mind it can go beyond all the limits which the physical world just imposes on us with my mind i can go anywhere so my existence has no circumference my mind has no limit it is a circle which has a center i cannot jump out of my myself this is i know what i am so i am sitting there but with my mind i can go anywhere so i am a soul which has a circle whose circumference is nowhere but whose center is located in the body and that death means the change of the center from body to body so nothing is changing 
It is only that from this, the center is changing from body to body. We are going to a new circle again for whom the circumference is nowhere, but the center has changed. Nor is the soul bound by the condition of matter. In its very essence, it is free, unbounded, holy, pure, and perfect. So till now, we found that how Swamiji dealt with the modern science as well as the biblical concept of creation and the original sin. And he wonderfully is establishing Vedanta as a synthesis that where you find that there is a gap of understanding in both the ways of thinking, the Vedanta can be there to synthesize and to bring out us from the confusion and can give us the affirmity of the spirit which is beyond birth, beyond death. It is something which is in the present easeness. So till now we find that Swami Vivekananda in a wonderful way is bringing out the concept of the soul. And then that the, how he's contradicting the idea of the original scene, that will be taken up in the next portion. First, he will come to the idea of the ignorance in Vedanta, and then he will come to the idea that uh, how that Vedanta doesn't believe in that original scene, and how without giving importance to the idea of the scene, that, that original scene which we have inherited, if we just have the contrary idea that we are the soul ever perfect, how can it enrich our spiritual journey? That Swamiji will be speaking of in the next part. We will take up that portion. We will just allot one more class to discuss on that section. That we today try to understand the nature of the soul and the destiny of the soul. That's what we will discuss again in the next class. With this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you. Namaskar. Thank you, Swamiji. Namaskar. Thank you, Swamiji. Thank you, Swamiji. Namaskar. Namaskar. Pranam, Swamiji. Namaskar.